Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we have a very special guest today. Aaron, I want you to talk about this. We've been teasing yeah. it for a while. We have been teasing it for a while. Uh, he has agreed to come back on the podcast. Uh, we are bringing David S. Goyer back. Yeah, so in the joint rejoining of the podcast, uh, again, very gracious for him to offer to come on to the show and talk about Foundation. Uh, so fascinating. Uh, welcome back to our podcast, David S. Goyer. Thank you for having me. And I, I will say it's um, it's kind of you to say gracious, but it's um, I I think your podcast and some of the other podcasts that have sprung up are, um, that aren't necessarily exclusively doing foundation, but are covering foundation. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy, I mean, some of it's self-serving being on your show, but I'll, some of it's just, it's interesting to me to hear these ecosystems that have, you know, sprung up around the show to hear people debating with passion, different theories, but also philosophy, sort of how one should approach science fiction or adapt fiction. And so it's, it's it's interesting for me to listen to your show and some other shows um, uh, as an interested party, but also just as a fan, right? I mean, if there was a podcast about our podcast, I would certainly listen to it because how could you not? I mean, oh, I don't know yeah. how long I would listen to it because it might get a little too, but like, yeah, I guess if they were digging the vibe, I would probably be interested in what they had to say about it for sure. So, but yeah. it's okay. It's also okay that... that sometimes there are detractors right or that yeah it's, it's not you don't have to like every single thing and it's i was just listening to another podcast about the show and one one of the things that you cited as liking in this season they didn't like so like what are you going to do you know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah you can't please everyone and i'm, I'm curious yeah. like one of the questions i had for you was going to be how much do you listen to that stuff how much do you let it influence you how much do you just kind of say, well, you know, not everybody's going to like everything we do. So, um, you know, we definitely took in some of the feedback from season one uh, as we were uh, now season two had already largely been written, but, but we modified some things afterwards. And, and I thought there were some, Look, there were some criticisms that I felt we were going to get from the diehard book readers, no, just no matter what. And we were yeah. never going to be able to get away from that. I think there's some of that change with season two. Generally, people seem more favorable, but the diehard people, they're like, it's not the books. It's not the books. We're, we're just never going to convert them. We're never, there's nothing you can do about that. But, uh, you know, then there were some, I also think there's another bucket of of criticisms that were fair, but were, in my mind, things sort of expositional pipe that we just had to lay, no matter what, in order in terms of like our larger plan, and we just had to kind of get through it. and And I thought there were some valid criticisms, and and I thought, okay, does that track with what we're thinking, and can we improve upon that? Um, fair enough, but you also have to be careful. You can't go down a rabbit hole of of uh oh my god they you know they didn't like this accent or they didn't like it you just can't go down that rubble hole the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that there's the the people like your audience or the people that are on reddit or listen to you know p peppers that are 
that I love that are incredibly passionate about the show, but that's not the mainstream audience. That still doesn't represent the the, the majority of our audience. Mm-hmm. And so you have to like, I don't know what percentage is sort of represented by your your audience or Pete Peppers, but that's it's a it's it's, it's a subset of the bigger audience. And so oh, we're fanatics. Keep, yeah, we're the weirdos. Yeah, but you have to keep <laughs> both of those things in mind, right? And sure. so um you have to try to appeal to both, which is something that I'm familiar with in adapting things like Batman or you know other things. You know, from our conversations last season, you know, we know that COVID was such a huge factor, not just for you, but for everybody trying to do any kind of filmmaking. Um, I was wondering if this, like, if things had gotten better this time around, because uh, I know in passing, you know, when we were exchanging emails, setting this up, you mentioned uh, episode four had been a, uh, a particularly frustrating uh, or challenging episode to make. Uh, I saw you, you know, I, I was curious, like, what were the challenges? Because episode four, I I quite enjoyed. What what were the behind the scenes challenges I, that made that I, difficult? And you're not alone. I mean, people really liked episode four, which makes me really happy. It wasn't necessarily COVID. To answer your question, season two, ironically, we had way more cases of COVID amongst our cast and crew than we did in season one, because in season one, everyone was working in a bubble. And like start relaxing we were, things. Yeah, when whereas two, we were wearing masks on set, but then everyone was going out and partying, you know, just and so <laughs> we had over a thousand cases, and I think we 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 went over nearly a month for, uh, in production because of COVID stuff. Wow! But wow. um, uh, and we still had restrictions in terms of how many uh extras we could have you know in given places in season two but um there were a lot of behind the scenes issues relating to season four that required a lot of um sort of spit and bailing wire not all of which i can talk about but um Mm. we had to reshoot quite a bit of that episode uh then now the fact that people are enjoying it as much as they are makes me really happy you know it's all worth it yeah you know the audience the audience doesn't know what they don't know uh, uh so it's, and now we've got, got a, a you got yeah. another big challenge ahead of you i think for the next season presumably with the strike that's happening right now uh i can imagine <laughs> I, I joked on the last episode of our podcast that this might be the most fraught production in the history of Hollywood based on the the level of events that are happening while you're trying yeah, to make the I, show. I, it's, it's COVID had, look, a lot of other shows had COVID and dealt with the strikes. Oh, for sure. I, I, think, I think that what makes it more complicated is because we shoot in different countries and it's so ambitious. And um, mm-hmm. But I'm just... Now I'm just used to it. It's like, well, what other <laughs> issue are we going to have to deal with? No. Right. Uh, maybe we should get into some of those uh, things that you talked about with the theories that fans are coming up with um, and the questions mm-hmm. that they have. Because uh, I, one of the biggest things that I've been wondering about with this show is the character of Demerzel. I have not yeah. read what the first book, so I'm not familiar with her. Uh, from that source material and so i'm wondering does she have some kind of plan for the empire basically why was she not 
Why does she not seem phased by the fact that Day is trying to cut out the heart of Empire, which is the Cleonic dynasty? Well, I'm walking a tightrope here in my answers because mm-hmm. um, some, uh, some of this will be answered by the end of the season. Okay. Uh, a great deal of it will be answered by the end of the season, and some of it won't be answered uh, until next season. Uh, and I would say now season three has all been written. So, uh, I think all of these questions relating to Demerzel and, and, and how she's beholden to the three laws or not, or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, what actions are permitted under her programming or not in relation to her almost all of that will be answered by next season, but quite a bit will be answered even by the end of this season. Um, I, and what I would say, and I've seen lots of different people debating about like what home, how can she, how can she permit this to happen or it, and it's, and it's a combination of how can she permit it to happen based on her stewardship of empire and how could she do this or permit this to happen based on, the three laws. Now, a lot of people are making various assumptions that the way, and I'm not going to confirm or deny that the way that the three laws work in our show is exactly the same as written in the sort of Caves of Steel, you know, sure. iRobot universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> which is, I think, a, you know, that's a big assumption. Uh, <laughs> but that's not necessarily me saying they don't. It's just, it's sure. that's a big assumption. Um, and, and, and Asimov himself added laws. And I mean, the most obvious thing that I would say is you can reprogram a robot. Uh, true. So Very there's, it, it, it's just, it, it's just interesting to see people, you know, um, w- will they be satisfied with our answers? We'll see. But I, I, I think we've figured out a way that everything makes sense. You know, but a lot of that will be answered at the end of the season. That's very it's exciting. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the rules of robotics. I, I mm-hmm. gathered from other things that you had said previous that you didn't have, you know, I know I, I know you got the rights to the foundation series and you don't have full access to the other catalog of Asimov, you know. Uh, but you mentioned like in an interview in R slash television that you had you know were able to make a deal with Fox somehow to maybe get a little bit of that stuff into foundation. Can you talk about like the behind yeah. the scenes? Are are you so, able to fully embrace those rules now or yes. So so what happened when when we first embarked on this journey is is uh the Asimov estate created a document and said basically because because later in life in the sequels and prequels um Asimov fused retroactively right. the, the foundation and iRobot universes. And so some of it was blurry and some of it was messy. And so we have this document that said, these, this stuff you can use exclusively. No one else can touch it. This stuff is fair game between you and or someone that owns, uh, in this case, Fox, the iRobot stuff. And these are things you cannot do. And so we had this sort of list. and we were allowed to talk to use the laws. And the reason why we didn't talk about the laws in season one is it wasn't germane to the story yet. It just, whereas it starts to be germane this season and even later on in the season, you're actually going to hear some discussion on camera about 
the laws. And then it's very germane in season three. But we were not able to, you know, Asimov retconned the Demerzel character to to be the same as our Daniil from the iRobot universe, the same robot through, through it all along. And we were not able to use the name Ardeniel. We could sort of hint at that it was the same, but we couldn't use it. But it just so happens that I was producing a movie for Fox and I was on a Zoom with the head of Fox, who's a big sci-fi geek who loves the foundation show and was just saying as an aside, I like this or when is season two coming out? And I said, Hey, by the way, and, and I just well, I asked him here. as a, yeah, a favor, would you let us in a, in, in these sort of limited conditions mention the name Ardeniel? And he said, let me see if I can get that done for you. And he did. And it was just, so it was cool. I'm somewhat surprised that, uh, cause I, that's, um, you mentioned that in the, the, the name R Daniel in the, uh, uh, that that uh, television interview, the R slash television interview. I, I actually was somewhat surprised that you are comfortable revealing that. Um, I was in kind of a broader question for like these type of uh, creator interviews. Why yeah. did I reveal that? Yeah, like I was curious, <laughs> like what, 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 why, when, when you're making a decision, what to keep up your sleeve, what to play close to your vest, and what to just flop out there. Uh, what, what I, what, I, 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 I thought that was interesting to reveal because. Because it means to, to me, I get that you're up to something. If as, as you're putting something that big on the table, it's like, oh, I wonder how, as a storyteller, he's he's leading me to to someplace. But I don't know. Well, I didn't. Here's the thing, for the for the hardcore fans, that's an interesting thing to to. I think sometimes it's fun to just like turn over a tiny card, even if before it's. Um, revealed in the show for people just to why not it's just fun because it doesn't um, mean much to someone who isn't steeped in the well, lore it's to like, my point that's my point to 95 percent of the audience it's meaningless it doesn't yeah. it doesn't mean anything to them so i don't think broadly it really spoils anything if yeah. you if, if you look at foundation you say oh we've already said she's whatever eighteen thousand years old or uh uh-huh. and so the idea that she could be known as another name isn't a crazy idea, you know? Now that doesn't mean that we're going to show a bunch of scenes from my robot. We can't, but, uh, and it, um, anyway, it's, I, I just felt like that was an, an instance of, you know, for the, for the, for the diehard fans. Oh, I can, I can turn over that card. That's a nice little yeah. gift, you know? I want to talk about some of the, um, Things that you reference in the show that are maybe more real world stuff or, um, you know, maybe in some of the stuff from the source material, uh, they're fairly obscure things, you know, to do with mathematics and religion and uh, poetic phrases, things like that. Do you mm-hmm. just kind of pull that stuff out of your own experience and knowledge uh, as a writing team and just kind of go with what? what you can pull or do you have a research team that goes out and you say, well, we need this tool narratively in this moment, go find us something. Uh, how does that process work? Most of the time it's, it's just me and the other writers pulling things out of our ass, nice. <laughs> pulling things out that, that are, that we find interesting that we, you know, we're all 
fairly well read and um sure. and uh you know but occasionally we'll run into a a plot situation where it's like oh god i wonder if there's any analog for this in or antecedent for this in 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 history mm-hmm. right and um and we may or may not kind of be aware of it and, and um we had dimly remembered we were, you know, some people were talking about about the relationship between Bell and Blaywin this season and whether or not some people were crying foul on on oh my god in the military you, you would never be allowed to serve with like you know your husband or your wife but even as we were building that relationship a couple of the writers and I were dimly aware of like but 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 in ancient Greek history weren't there examples of this and and we couldn't remember exactly what it was. So there's a happy confluence that like, lo and behold, there is. It's the Theban sort of military forces, like the sacred band of Thebes. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, was an elite force of soldiers that were homosexual with 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 150 gay couples in them. And they were considered basically like the special forces of, you know, the army at the time. And so there was a historical context for this. And it was considered that that makeup would make the soldiers fight even harder than you know in order to save the lives of their husbands or you know whatever the version of that was at the time so i guess that's an example of of and then reading more of that i'm like oh my god that fits so beautifully with bell and glaywin's relationship and then leaning into that as we write the scenes does that make sense oh yeah yeah, it's like they said. They say in a lot of war films, you, you actually fight for the guy standing next to you. And this case, right, they're the actually hole. fighting for the guy standing next to you. Yeah, right. Yeah. So some people were like crying and saying, "Oh my god, that they, they, they would never do that." And I'm like, "Well, actually, there's a lot of historical instances where they have exactly that." That's the thing. If you and you talk about the grand scope of human history and what what we've had or had, it, it, it's very hard to make hard and fast rules of humans have never or humans would never because like, right. especially if you get out of like. Europe and the last couple hundred years completely gets wild man there's so many different ways you can live on this planet completely and the other thing that I find interesting is look sometimes there's valid criticism for why in God's name would the character do this or that I'm like okay fair enough you don't buy that that's fine but I also think one of the other issues that that in real life people do things against their own interests all the time like all the time i did it today more the rule than the exception right like how many times have people got involved in in relationships they shouldn't be involved in or or whatever like all the time they do things some people are saying oh my god dusk is being an idiot because he's and i you know there could be more to the story because he's hanging out with rue why is he being so naive but then there were just the you look at the news and and all of these heads of industry that have been taken down by these, you know, extramarital affairs. And you think what a bunch of idiots. And it, and it's just, all you have to do is just look at the news today and see that people do this all the time. The arrogance of all these people. I bet there's a fine line between making it too naturalistic, right. And saying, okay, totally. well, people make mistakes and do things against their interests, but you're also writing a narrative that needs to be cohesive. It makes sense. So definitely well yeah and then the other question is does it fit with those characters like one of the things that i loved about breaking bad was that um you know walt there were a number of instances when walt could have cut jesse loose right throughout oh yeah 
the show and where you're just like any any thinking person would say just cut this kid loose and then and again he's acting against his own self-interest but obviously he saw his son in jesse and what mm-hmm. and that's when i think it's as a viewer it's really interesting is when you see a character do something that doesn't make sense for the story but makes sense for the character yes and so mm-hmm. we're trying to do things like that as well all things have a cycle first the podcast then the ad It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Math is never just numbers, and this isn't just a podcast. We're back with more Foundation. You know, one of the strong points of this show has always been you've got like just an incredibly charismatic cast. You got Jared Harris, Lee Pace, Lee Harvey, Lou LaBelle. Uh, this season, we got a bunch of new players. You got Hober Mallow, played by Dimitri Leonidas, uh, Brother Constant, Isabella Laughlin. Uh, where do you keep finding these incredibly charismatic individuals to, you know, because like I, that's, I'm especially impressed with Mallow and Constant because like I liked them from almost the moment I saw them. Like, yeah. And then and the other thing is, like, 
I believed the chemistry between them. Like when they, mm. you know, she kind of like came down at the hots for Mallow and like and and his pumping the brakes. Like I that shit just worked. And it's got a it's a lot of their performances. Where where do you find these people? There are a lot of good actors out there. I in this case, these actors were not particularly well known to particularly to an American audience. And um and so uh but we read, we have a great casting team, um, uh, Lucinda and Natasha that have been on the show since the beginning. And I also brought them on a, my other show, Sandman. And um, they they have a sense for the kind of people I like. But we, you know, they pre-read probably hundreds of actors for each of these roles. And then they send me the selects. And there we might have seen, I might have looked at 50 people, being, you know, for Hober, 60, not all of them. Wow. And then I, then I called in some of them. I asked if they'll reread. And then we ended up, I think I called in and, and worked with over zoom, maybe half a dozen. And then there were maybe when I saw Dimitri, I thought, Oh my God, I, this is the guy. But then, um, but then you do a chemistry read with some of these. Like in the case of of that, and I had a number of characters for or actresses in mind for Constant, and you do test deals. And so I think we had three actresses that we really liked for Constant, and then we had them read with three actors for Homer, ah, and see, yeah, and 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 you work a deal out ahead of time, and and you see who has chemistry and. And Dimitri and Izzy just really had it, chemistry. And it happened that they were, and sometimes it surprises you. Sometimes you'll have a front runner and then they'll, they'll weed against another front runner and there's just no chemistry at all. Mm-hmm. And it's this ineffable yeah. thing. And so that's, hopefully that answers your question. No, I was impressed by how, like, I, I thought they'd bring you like three or four selections, but like, sounds like you're, you know, like you're bringing 50, 60, Hober's a big uh, role. But but still, like I'm I'm impressed at how how uh, uh, oh yeah early in the the filter process you get involved yeah I but even small roles um, I I mean I will say, yeah well even small roles I might see a dozen I mean people with one line you know wow is that part of the process you really enjoy like finding I the, do just like, I do like ah, I it's do. the person I see yeah yeah is and, that and feel is, how, what's that feel like when you see like the per because you got to have in your mind's eye and then is it like i'm looking for that shape or is it just like somebody shows up and it completely just clicks like what's what's that feeling like when you like i i i like this dimitri guy he's my hober like what's that feeling like well first of all i do i do enjoy that part of the process a, gr- a great deal and i i happen to think if i could to my own horn I'm, I'm good at casting you know i just have a, a good eye for for people um sometimes they're as you imagine and sometimes they're completely different than you imagined uh, but but you like it and so i will say that izzy was a lot different than i had imagined i mean she always had the humor but mm-hmm. but she is different and i and i really liked it uh as you get down to some of the smaller role the one line and the two line roles there's also a, just an economic necessity which is uh sometimes if we're shooting in three or four different countries 
you know, you can't afford to cast someone from England or someone from France and, and fly them around right. to three different countries for just a character that shows up in two scenes and has three lines or something like uh -huh. that. It's just not uh -huh. economically viable. So we'll work with local casting. So we'll, we'll cast actors from Prague or Captain from the Canary Islands. And sometimes they're amazing and sometimes Tompool is not particularly mm -hmm. wide. And and it is what it is, you know, uh, and we call them day players. And it's, you know, you're not necessarily going to get someone who's graduated from the Royal Shakespeare, uh, you know, Academy doing sure. one line who happens to live in Prague. But which is not to say sometimes you get incredible actors there. And so it is it is what it is. I want to talk a little bit about the visuals of this show, because I was blown away by it in season one. You guys clearly put so much care and effort into that um and season two has surprised me again because you've kind of stepped it up a notch and every time i think like well they've hit their high water mark here for the visuals yeah th the next scene comes along and blows me away again uh well and the crazy thing is the the biggest stuff hasn't even dropped in the first half of the season oh my god okay oh boy. <laughs> all right i mean well, in terms of really excited yeah <laughs> uh but go on so, so one of those things is the jump ships i think those are super cool um and I know you guys created one of those as a studio, as a model in the studio, actually built them physically. Yep. I was wondering how you decide what to build physically versus what to do digitally. Um, first of all, that reminded me, I have to do a plug for my website, davidoscore.com, where I've been doing episode notes. And I'm also bowing to pressure. And in this month, I'm going to start an Instagram account which will have a lot of other behind the scenes photos and videos um, nice. have, okay. I haven't released yet. Um, but we, the, the short answer is we try to build as much as humanly possible. Hmm. Uh, and uh, because if we can build a lot, I think it creates a better sense of verisimilitude. It creates better, a more immersive performances. It's just, it's hard if you're on an all digital set or a mostly digital set for people to, to know where to look or, you know, what to inhabit. Um, and then we we like to try to save our visual effects for the big giant shots and not just, um, you know, a digital set extension, you know, have 50 shots of a digital set extension. We liked it. You know, we're very, very meticulous about we have big visual effects budget, but we're also, I think, much more meticulous and much more frugal with our dollars than I believe almost every show out there. I mean, we we get very, very grand. Like, you can afford five shots out the window of the beggar seeing this nebula in this scene. Don't stage everything right by the window. Let's let <laughs> let, let you know. Let's let's uh, go let's here for this moment. Or, yeah. Yeah, we're mm. very, very <laughs> specific. Uh, and then sometimes inevitably there are things we have cleanup that things happen that you have to fix that you hadn't planned on. Uh, famously, like Dawn's, uh, Cassie and Bilton's wig in season looked terrible <laughs> and we spent $400,000 in wig fixes, which is not how you want to be spending your visual effects budget. No. <laughs> But we, we try to build we try to build as much as possible. And that's I think one of the things that makes us different than certainly most of the Star Wars shows and or does more of an approach like we do. Hmm. And I 
I think that aesthetic, I just prefer that aesthetic. I don't know yeah, if it's I, accidentally, I feel, not, but Andor's yeah. is like one of the only Star Wars shows I'm really invested in too, because it right. does. I love Andor. Something. I love oh, Andor. Good. And it, certainly in my household, it's, it's really the only show now that my kids and my wife are interested in. Wow. Uh, I want to keep it on science fiction or the special effects of it all too. Cause I noticed that like um, you got all these ships that are jumping in space, but they all kind of do it a little bit different. Like the empire mm. like rips a hole through time and space. I noticed the foundation ship. So like, it's much more like a scalpel. And then we tri- saw this. And, and, and it's a triangular singularity as opposed to a circular singularity. Yeah. Ships. And then yeah. I, I saw the the spacers and they seem like they almost sublimate out of a singularity. It's like yeah. the ship's coming yeah. out and there's fog. And are, are, are we, should we make inferences on the technical sophistication and efficiency and other things yeah. on those factions just based on what their special effects look like? Yeah, absolutely. Part of it is, yes, there's now, will we ever you know, in the show specifically get it. Maybe yes, maybe no, but I, you try to do as much world building as you can and infer all sorts of things. And so it's, I think one should infer between those three factions that you just said, uh, listed. Yeah. They're, they're all folding through or jumping through space in, in different ways, uh, you know, with their own sort of take on it. Um, And what does that say about, you know, but I, I think the idea is empires sort of cutting through space like like a like a big hatchet, you know, mm-hmm. whereas foundation are being much more surgical, much more precise. Interesting. I can I ask you a self-serving question real quick? Sure. Uh, sure. Since the last time we talked in season one, I've really gotten into scale modeling. Yes. Uh, and I really, I really just love the design of that jump ship. And one of the things that we talked about with The Expanse, which is one of our other favorite sci-fi shows, uh, is they never quite got their merchandising game fully on point. I, I am so, so, so you know where I'm going with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's excited so, to talk about this. Sky, Skydance is the studio that has the rights, uh-huh. and then we make it for Apple. And I've been, so they're in charge of the merchandise, and I've been hammering them to, um, to, you know, start, you know, feeding the um merchandise line because a show like this is built for merchandise so um we have a big art of foundation coffee table book that's coming out from titan books in october that's actually super beautiful lots of interviews and and it's gorgeous um and then they're just finalizing a couple of deals and i believe diecast models i'm not sure if i'm not sure if they're resin models but some ship models is part of that deal for one of these things and then one of the things that happens is is with the first season of a show is a lot of these independent contractors don't want to do it because they're not sure how long uh, the show's gonna have life or right right the longer a show's on the more that feels the more profitable it is and Mm -hmm. so uh and then they wanted to see how season two was doing but to answer your question, hopefully we can make some announcements soon about um, just the beginnings of some merchandise like that. And and hopefully now that season two is performing so well, we'll see more of that, more more deals made in the next sort of six months. But look, I, I, I want that stuff as well. 
Yeah, right. We're all we're all geeks and nerds and we love that stuff. I mean, yeah. t-shirts and models and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I'm wearing a crew shirt, a foundation crew shirt right now. Nice, uh, nice. And I'm like, why aren't we producing these? Uh-huh. Uh in in terms of physical props, is the prime radiant as cool to hold as it looks? Because, oh, you do not. You do not have oh. it in your office. <laughs> no, Son of a bitch. On. Look at this guy. Now, oh my god, oh my, it's right it there. Is, it is resin filled, isn't it? Now, yes, no, but and it's very oh. detailed. I don't know if you can Dude, we so I one of my favorite things to do is watch Adam Savage like on YouTube. He builds these prop yeah. builds, and like I keep help as I build the prime radiant, build the prime radiant, build because like mm -hmm. it, it just looks like it's this fascinating now, now thing of filigree. And it is. And now I'll tell you what's interesting about it is uh this is a mark one. So this is from season one, and it's cool, but the resin's a little milky, and yeah. we we perfected i don't know exactly what they did but they changed up the way they made them for season two and they're even more transparent and, and delicate so i need to i need uh, to give me a mark a mark two one yeah it just seems like oh, it's just yeah. like a nice solid like you know and it, it does is. what you it's, know it's, 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 it's very solid yeah but there's <laughs> only awesome. there's out in the wild there's i have one i gave one to matt Chernis, who's sort of the head of tv for apple um, I had one made for Robin Asimov, you know, Isaac's. Oh, that's I think, there, I think there's only three of these in the wild right now. Dang. You need to do some kind of limited edition collector. Uh, oh, no, I agree. I agree. There's no yeah, reason yeah. why these, you know. It's a heck of a paperweight, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you, did you have another? Because we had some listener questions too. I wanted to pass on. Please, and, please. Uh, what about you? Did, did you have another one? Uh, for, I, I had one that's very specific to an episode. Um, talking about like Sarah and Rue and how much they knew, kind of going into this situation with, uh, with Empire. If if they kind of knew a lot about the you know the memoriam and how the whole like cloning and memory backup process worked, like how much homework had they done ahead of time? Because some of it feels very improvisational and some of it feels very planned out now i'm going to sound like a broken record because some of this is going to be answered later but i will say this they they did not know about the memoriam uh they okay. did know they did know about the assassination attempt they did know about the fact that the dynasty had been sort of tainted and and you know they sort of uh the genetic drift they didn't know about that uh they they have a plan but some of it is improvisation and some of it is is sarah just sowing chaos and and in an immature way that could lose her head yeah you know there's they're smart and they're definitely playing the various you know factions but the question is, how smart are they? And and you know, is 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 she going to get herself killed? Sure, it's my question for sure. Yeah. All right, I have one more question before we move on to the re questions from the listeners. Uh, when we were corresponding very early in the season, uh, you mentioned that you'd listened to some of the podcasts, and you, you said that you know we were right on in some things, but we were way off in some of. Well, our I'm not going to tell you what you're right on, but go on. Oh, I know, right? But I do want to know: is there one particular like? Did, did you? Is, what is the dumbest inference that we've made on this show that we've been hilariously <laughs> wrong about? And be as mean as you want, because I, you know, I mean, I'm trying to remember because I've, I've, I've uh -huh. 
Okay, our podcasts are forgettable. That's one problem. Yeah, no, no, no. That's the dumbest. Dumbest. I, yeah. I, I, man, I might have to you go listen back to so many. I'm sure. To so many. Uh, yeah, I was wanting some heat. I was wanting some like you. I'll dumb. give you some heat, but no, 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 no. But it's it's look. I think you're absolutely. I've heard you guys say, and forgive me if I'm paraphrasing, but the, you know, a lot of the times on this show, an, an insert isn't an, an insert. Meaning, like if we're if we're pushing in really closely on something, it's it's letting you as the audience know that that's something you should pay attention to, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would generally, as a rule of thumb, would say is if, if you know, if I got this mouse and, and there's just a shot of this and we're, and the camera's dialing in on it, mm-hmm. that's definitely a, you know, watch this space here, you know, later on. And there's, but sometimes everyone's cigar is a cigar. And, and I think what happens with this kind of show, and we are quite precise and deliberate and we are sort of putting in these Easter eggs and things like that is that sometimes people see things that aren't there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in general, when I listen to your podcast, I would say like 80% of the stuff that you guys pick out was there and was it. And then a few things just aren't, or, you know, it's just, you're making an association that it never occurred to us, but that's also because we, we sort of train the audience to think about sure, the show yeah. in that way, right? So inevitably, you know, um, you're going to see some association that isn't there, right? Or or some some theory. I'll try. I'll try to see if I can remember a specific theory you came up with that, that was just ridiculous. Oh, I I remember you guys were talking about back and forth about um, the halo jump that Bell and Glewin did. Oh um, yeah, yes, and and you know whether the they're in geosync or the atmosphere and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But the other, the thing that you guys didn't mention at all is there are these massive electrical storms in the atmosphere, sure. in the upper atmosphere that, so it, putting aside even them heating up or reaching, whether or not they're reaching terminal velocity or whether or not there's friction, they also have to protect themselves from that. And so I thought that was kind of obvious in <laughs> In some of the shots, but like you guys didn't even, it, it, that was just a whole factor that you guys didn't even mention. So yeah, if you can take a str- lightning strike, you can probably deal with a little bit of atmospheric friction kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but funny, I'll try, yeah. I'll see if I, I'll, I'll see if I can remember. There, were, there was something else that you guys were talking about. And I was like, you, shoot, what was it? <laughs> Someone mentioned. You're trying to skate I, up, I, I skate uphill these guys. Yeah, someone mentioned, um, uh can't remember if you or someone else like the in episode four and five i think they're uh Sarah and company are like out in the gardens and it's like oh you know are they being incautious in, in talking about these things you know with markley and whomever but but you know in in what can empire spy on him and and, and in the first scene i believe Sarah says Oh, you can speak freely. We have a field. My handman has a field disruptor here, and so it's like right. there, are, mm. there are things like yeah. that where it's like, no, we we covered that in the yeah, scene, yeah, yeah. in dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. right? So just tough to remember that in the moment, you know. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we should get to the questions from readers. Please, yeah, 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 um, yeah. You, you, I think you got the first one, Jim. Uh oh, our dynastic empire is experiencing some genetic drift. We'll be right back. 
the algorithm says this podcast will continue. Welcome back to Foundation. All right, yeah, let's uh, start with Brett from Honolulu. Says, question for Mr. Goyer, how exactly does the genetic drift work? They're derived from the first Cleon. How do they end up being different? Is the first Cleon's DNA changing constantly? Or is there some other mechanism for the cloning process uh, for each new brother Don? Without going into a whole rabbit hole of epigenetics, um, I, I think that they they tainted the original Cleon. And so the way to think about it is they went in and did some somehow through, you know, far future science, did some, managed to probably introduce a virus or something like that, that gene edited the, not only the principium, but that progressive, like basically every time you copy it, the gene editing gets worse. So they, 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 they introduced, if you will, a kind of genetic virus that, hmm. that okay. is getting sort of more progressively more off, off the, um, to North, if that makes sense. And that was all yeah, part of the attack. That was all part of the attack on the empire late last season. Yeah. I think some people miss the fact that like the, uh, the original Cleon was affected too. Like he got, that yeah, they, somehow they attacked and say that where they surmise, they surmise that, that mm -hmm. I believe on camera. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think some people are also like, cause uh, day destroys the Cleon dis the display. He doesn't destroy. He broke the glass. And so that's what I've been repaired now. What I think happened after that moment is I think that day was put down by Demerzel. Ah, uh, okay. Because that would not have been tolerated, you know? Right. And it wouldn't it's be little, the first uh, empire yeah. he's put down either, so. Yeah. It's fascinating because we were, we were talking about, like, when they went to talk to the Cleon and, like, well, why didn't they see this? Why didn't they say it? But, like, it's a real chess Oh, that was one thing they game didn't of, mention. They it's a say... Game of, Yes, yes, but that, that was one you didn't mention. You were like, oh, why didn't they say that we've been tampered with, right, to him? Yeah. And he said, and I believe Don, I'm paraphrasing, says something like, should we mention this? And does drop the absolutely not. They'll drop yeah. the ceiling on us. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Be, They'll kill us instantly. Like, yeah. you can't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, I think, think we, we got that by the culpa. end of that, that, that scene. Uh -huh. But yeah, 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 that was something we, <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's a real, like, game of chicken like what do you reveal to this guy who might drop the ceiling on us if he doesn't like because yes. it's like well yeah like why is day doing this why is day do but like yeah you don't you don't want to make it seem like the rails are too far off or something bad happened to you yeah it's a dance i i do think for some people have wondered whether or not th that shade of clan the first uh is an ai and i do not think he is i think he's an interface of sort of can he's basically a chat D gpd but without sort of self-awareness gpd okay rather. uh joseph says say you're a believer in luminism and you attempt you decide to attempt to walk the spiral and you survive mm. you make it to the cave you take your magical bubble bath if you're lucky you get your vision and then what do you turn around and walk the entire way back or hidden door in the cave? Do they send a life flight helicopter? Inquiring minds want to know. I think they come get you. I think they have a way of knowing. Yeah. The god, the goddess lets them know, right? Yeah. Yeah. There I you go. So. Cyrus, uh, the universe of foundationist technology offers characters the ability to time travel into the future centuries on uh on end via the means of cloning, cryosleep, and as of episode three, what appears to be a form of resurrection, Harry's new body. 
Yeah. Uh, these are powerful tools for a writer to use in their plot. As a writer, how do you balance the use of these tools with the emotional stakes for the characters? Do you ever worry that these are, if these are overused, it may diminish the emotional impact of their lives? Yes, all the time. We debate that all the time in the writer's room is, you know, what do we feel we can tolerate in our world building? Uh, what do we feel we can is, is, are we jumping the shark? Is it a cheat? Are we diminishing the value of it, this death or not? And I think, you know, one of the ways, and, and that is such a subjective call, right? And they're so hard to know what the broader audience will tolerate or what they won't. You're guessing. And so that's, we debate, we debate it all the time. Some of it's necessity, right? We, we, there are certain, we have deals with certain actors where there's a, um, and certainly Apple. And I think a lot of the audience want most of these characters, some of these core characters to be in, in as many seasons as possible. So we have to figure out creative ways to time travel as it were. Um, but then you, you also want to be able to introduce peril uh, and the idea that if it's a series regular, it doesn't mean that, oh, I can't remember for the phrase, uh, they, that they've got plot armor, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, so sometimes we kill characters and, and um, we think about it all the time. And then, and then, you know, for instance, if we brought Harry back, well, could we do that with three other characters? I would say no. You know, people would just start rolling their eyes. And so we think about that a lot. And we thought about different ways to bring them forward or create continuity. But um, without, well, no, I'm not going to say it. We can talk about it. I, I'm, I, I, I'm happy to come back at the end of the season. Uh, that All right. Question. Do you have any, like, guidelines? Like, oh, we can always only have X number of Harrys, right? Because you're, you're bringing back Harry a couple of times now. So... Any like hard and fast rules or is it just gut feel? No, no, it's just gut feel. I mean, there are two that we know of. And the question is, could there be another one out there? Um, and this is not me. Uh, I'm neither confirming or denying. Like, could if the show. I think if we introduce personally, like definitively a third Harry this season, that would kind of be sharp jumpy. Mm -hmm. But if the show went six or seven seasons could we possibly introduce a third one i think maybe the show could sustain it without jumping a more than that uh, it would get ridiculous and so it's it's sure, again we just have sure. to like you know and how many times can a character come back from the dead or not come back the nice thing about the clans is that's just part of the conceit right mm -hmm. uh, we can do that as many times as we want yeah, and it always feels like there's a little reshuffling. Like this day seems like you know, like the previous the, the, the this dust seemed like he was a really lackadaisical day, and let Dimmerzel run things. They, this day seems like he's a bit of a mama's different. boy. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. I mean, we write character biographies for season two, and we did it for season three. Again, it's hasn't been fully greenlit, but but we've written them, and so we wrote character biographies for the. Cleons and like how are these clans different from their predecessors and then we build those out with the actors and so very much by design like these Cleons are meant to be different characters and and that I think is part of the fun and one of the you know coolest things that we stumble into in in terms of our you know own invention of the show
Yeah, I, I think that's immensely fun. And I'm curious, you know, di disregarding like whether or not this would be, you know, a part of the plot or whatever. Do you have a personal desire to see the Cleons really degrade? Like, like how far yeah. down that rabbit yeah. hole are you willing to go? Or, or would you I, like to go personally? I because i would far. love to see it <laughs> yeah no, me no. Too. I, the, the intention i'm i really hope everyone gets to see season three because those cleons are <laughs> like, oh they're, man they're, yeah we're always yeah, like dude. that's all one of ours we're, we're always like so like are we going to end up with uh salver and gail getting into cryopods at the end of the season and is every new season going to be like lee pace with a hunch or you know right. uh, uh <laughs> Yeah, Terrence, he's got the he's got three eyes now. It's like where how, how far are we drift? Well, I would say we can't we can't do the same thing every season, right? So we so far we've sure. only done one yeah. an, another new season. But I would yeah. say if we're still playing the same tricks, still around for season six or season seven, and we're still doing the same thing, that would just be boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd stole your question. Do you want to get the yeah, get the I'll, next I'll, one? I'll read James's question here. Uh, yeah. He asks, can you give us a little more information on how well Foundation is doing in terms of ratings and reception? So the reason he's gripped up, he's like, he's, he keeps saying if we're renewed and should we get this in, you know, obviously he's, uh, yeah. he's concerned. But it sounds well, like you wrote season three already. So you guys are pretty yeah, but there's confident a big, about that. There's a big difference between them green lighting a writer's room for a season three and X amount of millions of dollars that that cost. Couple, and, couple and more zeros money. and commas. Yeah, on yeah. The other yeah. Side. <laughs> so, uh, um, so interestingly enough, I am doing a Zoom with Apple tomorrow about an overview of the performance of season two. They tend to wait at least thirty days, maybe thirty-five mm -hmm. days, because. It's one thing to see how it premiered, but they're really interested in what the drop-off is, you know? And so they tend to wait at least through episode four. I do know anecdotally it's 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 big. I mean, it's, it's doing well for them. And it's consistently, since it's dropped, been in the top three of Apple. And usually when the new episode comes out, it bumps back up to episode one, which mm -hmm. anecdotally tells me that there hasn't been a big fall off, you know, because a lot of people will tune into a first episode and then they, they might, they sure. might depart, but um, it's doing, it's doing well. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on a third and even a fourth season right now. Um, and then beyond that, who knows, we have to see like, it, the audience is definitely built from season one to season two, oh, without question. And so yeah, I think the sentiment has too. For for sure. I mean, the Rotten Tomatoes, the reviews have been beyond my wildest expectations. And and just just the chatter on the internet is, I, I just have more people mentioning it to me that aren't involved in in film or TV. And so the audience has definitely grown. I don't know exactly how much it's grown, but it's it's definitely grown. and they seem quite happy with it. So, you know, I don't know if we talk again in five weeks, I might know it a little more. They're always a little, they never tell you exactly what the numbers are with these. <laughs> sure. It's part, the of, part of the issue with the strike right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, James also has a couple other questions here. He says, can you say more about a potential Demerzel spinoff and your ability to mention the three laws, which we kind of covered a little bit. Um, Dimmerzell spinoff. I hadn't even heard that. Is that something yeah, you I hadn't? Well, we talked about one of those cards you're revealing. 
<laughs> well, we, at one point we had, you know, we've been sort of teasing the robot wars and you'll, you'll learn a tiny bit more about it in the second half of the season and, and then a bit more about it in season three. And if the show goes on long enough, it, it, is, a, it is a story that I'd like to properly tell. And so the question is, and I guess it depends really on if the, if the show keeps growing, right? If, if, if we grew from season one to season two and then it grows to season three and season four, and then there's an appetite for it, do we do, we do like a six episode Robot Wars mini that drops in between mm-hmm. seasons? It's a completely separate thing. Or um, do we so tell that as like a beer story within a season flashing uh, back to it? I would I, I would love to tell that story. It's just a question of and, and then since Demerzel is so old, she would be a character in that. Uh-huh. So it's, it's not exactly your like would be your house of dragon and be more of like a mm-hmm. interstitial project or or uh yeah. Okay. Well, or or it would be like how it's House of Dragon happened while Game of Thrones was running. Right. Yeah. You know, which would be interesting, except that you would have a character that was in both because she's that old or right. it's that old. They are that old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then James's final question here. He, he's talking about how uh, Lee Pace is portraying a very different uh, day in this season mm-hmm. than he did in the first season. Um, is that is that change in presence due mostly to acting or are you shooting him differently, lighting him differently? What's the, how, how do you view, I guess, the change in him on screen? Uh, it's, we wrote him differently to be, uh-huh. and then it's a collaboration with Lee in terms of building out the character and what's on the page. And, and he's obviously performing it differently. Wardrobe is different. Um, and all the above, he's wearing an earring this time. It, so I, I think an interesting way to think about his wardrobe and his look is he's 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 starting to individuate a bit mm-hmm. more, and 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 that's feathers with his other clone brothers. But obviously, he's trying to individuate in all sorts of different ways. And we never, well, I can't completely reveal this, but well, I guess I can. The, I think in episode three, and then you'll see it in later episodes, he's wearing a breastplate that's totally different than the breastplate from season one. And that breastplate is from, well, he's wearing two pieces of clothing from the parents of Cleon the first that he's, that are literally, and we've never said it, but you'll, you'll. You might see the you might see the parents of Cleon the first, and if, if viewers are paying special attention, what he's done is if you imagine those articles of clothing were in a museum, he's taken them and said, "I'm physically going to wear them." And uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. again, I can't be Cleon the first, but I can be Cleon the last. Gotcha. Is that is this kind of a reaction to the way that Dusk, the the, the current brother Dusk, had like lived his life, where he didn't make a mark? He was talking about. You know, and yeah. he he just kind of the mission of the day was like, like disgusted. Everything. I can't remember the exact word he used yeah. about like how he was disappointed in how he he went about. Yeah, I think I think this day, as a when he was younger, saw dusk when he was day, and just thought, oh, you kind of disgust me, and 
you're yeah. a fuck up and you're lazy and and I'm going to make my mark by being the opposite of you. I'm going to be relevant. But he's also more immature and insecure yeah, than not equipped. previous days, you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then, so like, that's all of the structure questions we got. I did want to, because you've had, you know, I know, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what you're allowed to talk about and stuff and promote and all that, but like, you've had a lot, I'll, I will make some observations of private citizen, I've had a lot of success recently foundation. I really enjoyed Sandman over the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, great work there. Are you tease something are, are, that you've got another maybe licensed uh work that you're adapting or something that you're particularly excited about that, that you weren't ready to talk about i think five weeks ago is it uh what's what's I've next got, for you um what's, what's next exciting, for me what are you excited it, about well uh my producing partner and i produced a a period uh prequel to the omen that takes place in the 70s in rome that was shot in rome it's fantastic with fox and it looks like Originally, that was going to come out on Hulu, but not be a theatrical. And that's um, that's a really neat if for fans of like Don't Look Now or something like that. It's 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 very cool if you're into that sort of '70s horror. Uh, and so we have to do about a week of reshoots, and so we're waiting on the, the obviously the strike the yeah. strikes to end. Uh, so I don't know exactly when that's going to come out. Um, I'm working on a adaptation of the eternal champion Moorcock books with Dana Jack, one of the writers from uh foundation, no idea if that'll come to light. The obviously work has stopped on that, but we were working on it prior to the strike in the background, but there's another project that will be announced. Um, when the strike's over, that is based on a big piece of IP that, that, uh, looks to be greenlit that is should be exciting to some of your listeners um but i can't say i can't say what it is yeah yeah. damn it uh you do have the website is at davidesquire.com davidesquire.com and there will be uh in the instagram coming out yeah and I, again i checked that out the production value on your website is sky high it looks amazing it's got tons of great info like i mentioned on twitter when i was talking about it said literally that was my first kind of like test. It's like, I'm going to click on like three things. And then like within that, I'd already learned like one or two new things. I'm like, that's, yeah, that's some pretty good behind the scenes stuff. I've so, been, I've been letting it go fallow for a bunch of years. And then I finally realized, though, I'm, I'm, cause I hadn't, I'm not on social media either, although I might be dragged kicking and screaming into Instagram. Uh, and um, so I'm trying to make it, interesting and uh and a resource and not just purely promotional you know but put some things in there that people can't get anywhere else i'm I'm also hoping i'm 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 trying to get apple to a release a couple of scenes that were cut from like season two uh Mm -hmm. which i think would be fun but there's some other scenes that we wrote that we never filmed that I was going to release the script pages for those uh, on my website too. They're just, just interesting to see. That's cool. Things. That's like yeah. after season that's going to happen or yeah. like, after, yeah. Okay, cool. It, exactly. Exactly. It, it would have, it would have to be after season. And, and, you know, there's a couple of scenes in particular that we, we just had to cut for time and budget that we didn't never end up filming, but are really cool scenes. And it, it would just be interesting for people to read those and, um check them out all right 
Well, davidsquare.com is the website. Check it out if you want more behind-the-scenes details on foundation and all the stuff that uh, David's working on. Uh, you have indicated on this podcast that you'd be uh, willing to come back towards the end of the season or maybe at the end of the season to yeah, wrap I think, up I think, with us. Yeah, I think we should. We did last season. Well, let's do it again. That's That would be fun. Yeah. Uh, so cool. again, I appreciate so much for you stopping by. It's a pleasure as it was uh, the last season and uh, congratulations on the midpoint of foundation and uh, can't wait to see you stick the landing in a couple of weeks. I, I feel pretty bullish about, about the landing yeah? of season two. Well, you yeah, see, you see me, yeah, I, I'm getting that from your energy. You're feeling, you, you got the, you, you got the, the tailwind. Uh, yeah. I, I think. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. So we'll see. Right. We'll see if you guys agree. So all right, and and definitely think about the time we made the biggest, stupidest error on our podcast. I, I'm, I'm, I will. I'm wanting, I'm wanting that feedback. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right, David Here. Boyer. Thanks for coming on our show. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank so you much. so much, guys. All right, bye. And with that goodbye said, that's going to do it for our foundation podcast for this week. I think we've done enough foundation coverage this week. Felt felt like we got <laughs> the, the an honest four uh, fourish hours of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would like, it's not, it's not your last opportunity, as we mentioned to, to, uh, get a question to, to Mr. Goyer. Uh, if you would like to send feedback to foundation at baldmove.com, uh, if, especially if you want it to attract Goyer's attention, make sure you put that name in the subject line, because, you know, if you send me something this week, I'm compiling four weeks from now, it's gonna be very hard to find that. So just throw Goyer in the subject line, helps me find it. Foundation at you want to find out what else we're doing on social media or uh, i'm sorry on our podcast you can follow us on almost every social media at bald move except tiktok we're at baldest move there finally if you appreciate what we do here at bald move you want even more content and you're tired of listening to ads support.baldmove.com is how you get all those things answered fulfilled uh and enter a whole new world of bald move bald movementship support.baldmove.com again that's going to do it for this this week until next episode i'm aaron and I'm Jim. Respect and enjoy that podcast. <laughs>